0: The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com.
1: The scripture reading this morning comes from John 7, verses 14 to 24. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning what he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath, the man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken. Are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath, I made a whole man's whole body well Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. This is God's word.
0: All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you today, Lord, in meekness and yet with a boldness of your word. And I pray, Father, that you would give me the words that I am supposed to share, that it would be done according to your will, and that it would produce great amounts of fruit in our lives. I thank you, Lord, for your word, which is truth. I pray that you would open hearts and minds to receive that truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you don't know me, my name is John. I'm also part of uh, the staff here at CRC. And we're in the Gospel of John. It's our series going through the book of John. And in your 20-minute morning readings, everybody is doing the 20-minute mornings together. And if you don't have that or you don't know about that, uh, see me after the service and I'll make sure that you get a copy of that so you can start in with us. It's basically a discipleship, an all-church discipleship of spending every single morning about 20 minutes reading through the scriptures and praying, and we lay it all out for you in that little packet. So it's very helpful, and you want to make sure that you absolutely, absolutely get that today if you don't have one, and if you're not doing it, you then need to get into that and start doing that. It's so incredibly important for your development of your faith as you grow as a disciple just so very incredibly important. And so, in that one, last week we were focusing on chapter eight, as you know, and that's 59 verses in chapter eight. And here we are, the second week in chapter seven. So, um, I'm not, it's impossible for me to do a whole chapter a week. I mean, that would be, just be a, just a gross representation of the scriptures that would be leaving so much out that I don't think you would get out of it what you need, and so I'll be going as fast as I can, and then you just follow along in the prayer guide there, and and this week you start chapter 9, which is an amazing chapter, in fact, all of these are, and so we'll just kind of go along like that, and then if it doesn't overlap, well, then it doesn't, but I just don't want to leave things out, so... We're looking today at the next 11 verses in John, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 7. And these verses right here are incredibly important to us as we develop our faith in Christ. And here's the main reason, because church abuse is real. And there are a lot of churches out there where the people that go to those churches are being spiritually abused by the leadership maybe you've experienced that yourself and found it very hard to trust or get back into church because you were under spiritual abuse or maybe you don't even know that you were but you just know it was bad and you had to leave that church but here jesus gives us a glimpse explains to us in this passage How to identify the real from the fake? Now, right off the bat, that's terrifying. That's a terrifying thought. I don't want to think that—that there could be fakes in the church. I mean, of all the places in the world, that's the one place I don't want to see a charlatan. I don't want to see some fake and trickery and a liar and a deceiver in church. That's why you know you want that to be a safe place. But as we see in this text that Jesus tells us that that isn't always the case. There are people who are spreading falsehood, which is lying, spreading lies. And so this is incredibly important to us in the development of our faith, being able to identify the truth from the error. So incredibly important. Jesus is saying there are fakes out there, charlatans, people who look real. They look godly on the outside, but they're actually a complete fraud, an imposter, a cheat, and they're in the church. So what this will do is this will prepare you to identify the real from the fake and then know what to do when you encounter it. Basically, essentially run for your life is my advice. So before we get into this, well, let's just do a little practice training, okay? This is just kind of for fun, a little practice training of identifying what is real and what is fake. So I'm going to show you some pictures. And then you have to tell me, is the, fi- is the picture real or is it a fake, okay? And you gotta answer by shouting out your answer. So be brave, okay? Nobody cares if you get it wrong, all right? Just for fun, just practice. You got it? You shout out your answer. Is it real or is it fake? Ready? Let's go, number one. Real or fake? Fake. Oh, come on, that was so weak. Fake, fake. Fake. It's fake, it's fake, you got it. Good job. Next one. Real. 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 Fake. All right, half and half on that, sounds like. It's actually real. Number number three. Fake. Fake, real, fake, real, fake, real. You are really undecided. That's real. It's real. The next one. It's a dude hanging from some containers. <laughs> you know, it, feel, it feels like there's like 10 of you. Where, where's the rest of the 90? Okay, Yeah, undecided. Timid. Afraid. Is it just for fun? Now nobody's watching your answer. What is this, real or fake? It's real. Real or fake? It's real. real. Good job. Real or fake? Guy going up to the heavens with some balloons? That's fake. That's fake. That'll never happen. The next one. Real or fake? That's real. That's real. I got that one wrong. Next one. Real or fake? Nobody should say that's fake. That is absolutely real. Real or fake? Oh, poor lady, that's totally fake. Real or fake? Nope, it's fake. Real or fake? That's fake. Turtle can't jump like that. (laughs) Real or fake? Yeah, that's real. Real or fake? It's a fake. Real or fake? Careful. Yeah, it's real. It's real. Real or fake? It's real. Two camels. Real or fake? It's fake. Real or fake? It's fake. So, what did we prove with that? I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Totally nothing. (laughs) Gee whiz. What an exercise in futility. Maybe we should get back to the scriptures. Well, I've been meditating on chapter 7 for two weeks now, and I'm hoping that you will see the value of that for your own life. What I think most Christians do is they get their Bible, they open it up, and they just read it. And they just zip through that, and you could read chapter seven in a couple of minutes, and you'll you'll close your Bible and get virtually nothing out of it. But if you meditate on that, and we, we've had a seminar on how to meditate, and we're going to do it again, but if you meditate on that then you will go far deeper. So if, all you're, if you're a Christian and all you're doing is reading the Bible, then your faith is about an inch deep. You are as shallow as shallow can be. But if you are meditating on the scriptures and getting that inside you, then that's where you get the meat. That's where you go deep. That's where you get stuff that'll carry you through any trial. Okay? The strength that you need to be able to stand against the devil and all of his lies and all of his schemes. And so it's so important that we go deeper than just reading the surface. And so uh, as I go through this, I want you to think about that. And I was meditating on this, uh, the first part of of chapter seven, the part that we talked about last week. And uh, verse seven really caught my eye. This is last week's, okay? We're not to chapter not to our part yet. So so verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. So Jesus is saying that the world doesn't hate you, my brothers, his four brothers. The world doesn't hate you because you're of the world. But the world hates me because I'm not of the world, and I testify against it that its deeds are evil. Now, at face value, that doesn't really make any sense. In fact, it even seems a little contradictory. And so I think you have to look at other scriptures to be able to understand this one. And so if you move ahead to John chapter 15 then this makes absolute sense. You go to 15, verses 18 and 19. Jesus is again speaking to the disciples. He says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world Hates you, So that makes it abundantly clear what he's getting at, right? When you belong to Christ, he calls you out of the world. Now you are no longer a part of the world, and so now the world will hate you. That's the point he's getting across, right? He's trying to let them know, hey, the world is going to hate you. Now, think about that. Hate? Are you, are you sure it's hate? The apostle Paul was hated. That's obvious. Uh, so it was true for him. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 5. Listen to what Paul said. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. So hardships, beatings, imprisonment, riots, and hunger. Is that a description of your life? Is that the life in America? I mean, is that what we're all living? We're living in the hate. Uh, When was the last time you were beaten for your faith? Nobody? When's the last time you were thrown in jail for your faith? Or you were beaten by a mob, riot? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody? That is not a description of the Christian life. The world does not hate us. They love us. This is America. We're free. So what I think is so important for you to see here is that there has been, for the last 200 plus years, a bubble on this nation. Because every other country in the world, Christians are living in that hate across the globe. Let me just share some things with you. Um, In China, this hatred of Christians is nationwide. Entire nation, China. In North Korea, there are estimated 300,000 Christians in concentration camps. 2016, current. ISIS is capturing Christians, beheading them, torturing them, beating them in Syria, Somalia, Afghanistan, Algeria, Bangladesh, Egypt, Libya, Indonesia, Iran, Iraq, Kosovo, and Malaysia. In all of those countries, if you're a Christian, you are living in fear that at any moment there's going to be a knock at the door. You're going to be dragged out into the street and beaten or all your stuff taken from you. Your house burned down or even killed. That's living in hate for sure. Christians are being martyred by the thousands. Christians today are being martyred in Bhutan. China, India, Kenya, North Korea, and Sri Lanka. Murdered, killed for their faith. This is what Paul was referring to. This is what Jesus was referring to. We are on track this year worldwide to reach 130,000 martyrs. There'll be more martyrs in this era than any other era of the history of the world. So what does it mean to suffer for our faith? We have no idea. History will record this incredible season of time in this country called America where there was peace and prosperity. And the rest of our brothers and sisters are dying on the vine. And so I wonder, does God hold us responsible for this in some way? Not that we're responsible for causing the suffering, but are we going to be held responsible for what we do about it? Namely, nothing. Is our prosperity so that we can just live it up, man? People complain about their TV being too thick. (laughs) What do you mean? Well, they came out with a new one, man. It's this thin. It's 3,000 bucks. I know, but it's this thin. When our standard of living goes up and we get more money, what do we do? We make our life better. We increase our standard. We We sell that crummy old house and we need a bigger one. While Christians, your brothers and sisters, whom you will be with in heaven, are homeless in the streets of Syria, not knowing whether or not they're going to have food or be killed at any point in the day. So, do you feel bad? I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just, I've been thinking about this and. And I, I think we need to take a serious look at this. I think that our prosperity is not for us. I think our prosperity is f- to help our brothers and sisters. And I hope that the next time you get an increase in salary or you get some kind of chunk of money or something, don't run out and blow it all on all this new stuff. Maybe, maybe you could take a chunk of that and give to an organization that is bringing relief to those Christians. You know, there's a wonderful Christian organization that their sole entire purpose is to smuggle into North Korea. These people are risking their lives, smuggle into North Korea, medicine and supplies for those Christians who are being tortured and killed. And that's a worthwhile, valuable ministry to invest in. So keep the fat TV, (laughs) you can still see a picture on that, and take your extra thousand bucks and help our brothers and sisters in the world. That's just, okay, so that's not a part of my sermon at all, but I just wanted to share that (laughs) as I was meditating on that. All right, so I'm hoping you'll take that seriously, I really do. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't have taken the time to share it. Looking at verses uh, 14 and 15 of our text, it says, At the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Jesus took the role of a rabbi. And what rabbis would do is they would gather up a, a group of disciples and about 12 is what the usual number you would gather. And uh, you would go into the outer court of the temple. You'd find a corner or a section of the temple. Huge, huge place. And uh, you'd gather your disciples around. And you would teach them the Old Testament. And your authority was always based upon Other rabbis who came before you. So no rabbi would ever come up there and say, now this is my opinion of what Moses thought about here in Numbers. If you said that, if you said this is my opinion, that the temple police would throw you out and say, you're a fraud, get out of here. So if you want people to believe you, to listen to you, you have to quote other rabbis 1,000 years earlier, 800 years earlier, who understood what it meant then, and you quote them, and you base your authority on the history of what's been said about the Old Testament all along. So the more people you could quote accurately, the more credibility you had. And so they're attacking Jesus' credibility. They're saying, you don't quote anybody. You're not referencing anybody. You're giving your opinion. And so he says, no, 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 no. No, this is not my opinion. I am not teaching you from my own authority. I am teaching you what the Father has taught me. So he bases his authority All the way up to the very top, bypasses all these rabbis and goes right to the source, which is God the Father. And he says, I only teach what my Father has taught me and what he has shown me, and my authority comes from that. And it was powerful. I mean, if you look at the end of Matthew chapter 7, the great Sermon on the Mount, which is amazing, amazing stuff there. At the very end of that, they marvel and they say, This man, he's teaching is not at all like any of the rabbis. He doesn't teach like they do. He teaches as one who has authority, as if he wrote it. This is Jesus' answer. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he must know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. You see? The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. What a brilliant answer to their question of, where's your authority? Brilliant, brilliant answer. They, didn't have, they, couldn't, they couldn't say anything about it. It was, it, was, it was amazing. And so, rightly so, they should question his authority. But this isn't just a rabbi. This is the God-man. This is the son of God. And so his authority should never be questioned. But they didn't know that. They didn't know who he was. And if you look at what he says... What he says in this text is okay, you're going to question my authority as a rabbi, as a teacher. Let me tell you how to identify the difference between a real rabbi and a fake one. In other words, a church or a pastor who is of God and one who is not. And he tells us right here this is how you can tell. Five ways. Five ways you can tell real or fake. Number one, pastors who are speaking for Jesus never seek their own glory. That's how you identify them. Is this guy or a gal that's standing up in front of us seeking his or her own glory? Because if they are, they're not of God. Right, that should be the first thing that could rule them out. Can you tell when somebody is seeking out their own glory? I mean, yeah, you can, can't you? I mean, it's, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? It's clear that it's all about them. Maybe they'll maybe they'll cite one little verse, and the rest of it is stories about their life. You know, their pictures plastered everywhere. All the marketing is about the face or the personality, or the good looks, or the talent of that pastor. And that's what we're getting at. Oh, this is so-and-so's church. And we're building everything on his glory. Everything's about them. Constantly referring to themselves. Do you know when pastors sit around a table and they're planning a conference? I know this because I was there. You sit around the table planning a conference and the discussion went something like this. Who can we get as a speaker to come in to get the biggest crowd? Who's really going to draw people to this conference that we're having? And do you see the faulty in that kind of thinking? Nobody ever said, uh, who's the most... Who what person is most like Jesus? That's who we want come to the conference. What what person is most like Christ who is just he's just just so following in Christ's footsteps, looks like he's been with Jesus. Let's find that guy. That's never brought up. It's about getting a crowd. And we learned that last week, right? That that's not an effective way to disciple anyone. Get a crowd. You know Jesus had a ministry for three years on the earth. And then he left. His ministry continues through the Holy Spirit. But for three years. And what did he end up with? 120. A measly 120. That's all he had. I've done better than Jesus. 120. What does that tell you about his thinking? You know what? That 120... Has been more fruitful than any other group in the history of the world before or since. That 120 accomplished more than any other group that's ever been on the face of the earth. So I say, yeah, he pretty did a good, pretty good job. He discipled them. Most of them gave their lives for him in martyrdom. But charlatans seek their own glory. And Jesus said, we should stay away from them. Verse 18, the last half of that verse, you look at it. He says, if you seek to glorify Jesus, then you won't have falsehood. Now, that's kind of terrifying because what that means is there is falsehood. There is falsehood. Jesus, in his day, there was falsehood. There were bad, false, lying pastors. They called them something different, but that's what they were, essentially. And so that's number two. That's a second way to to determine whether or not they are real or fake, is are the pastors lying? Is this guy spreading falsehood? Well, that becomes a little bit difficult for you then, doesn't doesn't it? Because he purports himself to be the expert. He boasts and says, I have a master's degree in Bible or whatever, right? How do you know he's saying it wrong? How do you know he's misinterpreting the scriptures? How do you know he isn't twisting it to make it say what he wants it to say, to manipulate the crowd? Well, there is only one way you're going to know, and that is if you study it yourself. You got to get into the word yourself. You got to read and learn and study that Bible. Otherwise, you're just a sitting duck. You are susceptible to whatever charlatan comes into town, and you'll get swept away in that, driven down into Sheol. How do we know if he's telling lies? We got to know the scriptures. The Apostle Paul warned us that this would happen. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, he said this. Understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. We're in the last days right now. There will be times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self... Avoid these people. Run! (laughs) You see arrogant leadership? Run away! Run away. Look what he says here. They have the appearance of godliness. Isn't that striking? Does he mean you can fake godliness? Yes, yes, that's what he means. You can fake it. You can fool people, fool them to thinking you're more spiritual than you really are. It's not easy to spot at a casual casual glance. I'll give you that. It's not easy to spot a fake. But if you really look, you can see it. You got to go deeper, you got to look closely. How does he treat his family? Do his kids love Jesus too? Does his wife speak well of him? Does he keep staff members for a long time? Or is this a continual revolving door, always turning over new people? You see, Jesus said that we could identify them if our intention is to obey him. So if you want to obey Jesus, he's going to reveal it to you. You're going to see these these fake preachers and you will be able to escape it. I was wondering, what does this look like today? What would a person who is faking their godliness look like in our setting? And And that's number four. Uh, image is more important to them than anything else. How they look. How are my clothes? How many people are in my church? How many friends do I have on Facebook? Most of what I love about being a pastor happens in our church and I just love it, okay? I love coming. I miss it when I'm gone. I look forward to every Sunday. I love being a part of this. I'm so, 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 so blessed and honored to serve you. But there is just one little thing that I hate that i got to share with you, okay? There's one duty of mine that I just struggle with so much, and that is going to pastor's conferences, That's part of my responsibility. And if I don't show up, my boss calls me and says, why weren't you there? And the reason why I don't like these gatherings is because it's a group of guys, and all they want to do is compare themselves with everybody else. And there's this big stupid game that they play about who's the better of everybody by, hello, by... (laughs) how many people you have in your church or how this or how that. And, and, and I go home from that. I was just feeling so disgusted and discouraged. I and thought, wow, we, we didn't talk about Jesus at all. This wasn't about Christ. It was about us. Yuck. Yuck. So I'm not, I won't complain about that anymore, but... Appearances mean everything to the charlatan, but they happen to mean very little to God. How can I say that? Look at verse 24. He says, do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. You see, we judge based on what we see. We judge the outside of a person. We look at them and know all that we know. And we judge them by the outer appearance. Well, let me ask you, what does Jesus look like? Do you know what Jesus looks like? I mean, the Bible tells us what he looks like. Did you know that? The Bible tells us exactly what he looks like. We know what Jesus looked like. Isaiah described Jesus. Isaiah 53, 1 through 3. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not so i guess jesus wouldn't be a very successful pastor today at least in america because he was absolutely ordinary you could not pick him out in a lineup you could not pick him up in a crowd he would blend in. He just was incredibly ordinary. He looked like every other Jewish man around. You, just, you couldn't tell. He didn't stand out. You couldn't see his glory. You couldn't see his majesty. He was plain. And if God was really concerned about the outer appearance, Jesus would have appeared differently. Right? He would have blonde hair and blue eyes. Or something else. Jesus was always pointing us to the heart. Don't look at the outside. That doesn't matter. The outside is of very little value. It's the heart. It's character. Jesus was beautiful. He was the Rose of Sharon. Because he looked beautiful? No, because inwardly he was beautiful. Inwardly he was so beautiful that everybody was attracted to Jesus it wasn't on the outside. It, looking beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, being a wretch is something that Jesus hated. He, he identified that as a problem in the leaders in his day. He said, listen, you guys put on the very best clothes. You have all the hip stuff. You do all the right things. You say all the right prayers, but guess what? Inside, You're like a dead man's tomb. You're a rotting corpse. You stink. There's bugs and spiders crawling out your eyeballs. You're gross. You're unclean on the inside. Can you imagine if you stood up at your office party and said that to everybody? (laughs) They would be hating you, I think. <laughs> Certainly wouldn't be invited for turkey dinner. Last one, and we'll wrap this up. Number five. Jesus points out that these false preachers and pastors, they're hypocrites. They're hypocrites. They hold people accountable to things they won't do themselves. So they'll say, you give, 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 but they don't give. You serve, 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 but they don't serve. You obey, 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 but they don't obey. They're two-faced. They speak with a forked tongue. So in one person, they're saying this, and to another person, they're saying something completely different. With one group of people, they act one way. With another group of people, they act a completely different way. They put on their godliness like it's a robe or something. They take it off when they don't want it. They put it on when they feel they have to impress somebody. They're hypocrites. They're caught up in religion. How do I look? What are the people saying about me? John condemned this kind of leadership in chapter 12. Now, we're not jumping to 12, but if we were to look at 12 and verse 42 we would see this commentary that was given. This is what he said. He's talking about the Pharisees. He said, they loved the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. Or another way, they loved the praises of men more than they loved the praises of God. They were more concerned about what people said of them than what Jesus said of them. And that makes them a charlatan. So here they are. They seek their own glory. They speak falsehood and lies. They twist the scriptures. They have the appearance of godliness, but they're actually carnal. Image is very, very important to them. They always want to look good. And lastly, number five, they are hypocrites. And so what does Jesus say to us when we see this, when you identify this? He says, run, run, baby, run. You could say, "Uh, see ya, don't want to be ya. You could say, as one of my favorite actors says, hasta la vista, baby. We're out of here. on that note, let's pray. You can pray for me. I need help. Lord, thank you for your word that protects us from spiritual abuse. That when we know it and we see it, we can run, we can protect ourselves, we can protect our kids, our family. And Lord, may this never be the case at CRC. Lord, don't don't let anyone in leadership exhibit these kinds of qualities. Lord, we we humble ourselves before you. You are in charge. And for those who are here today, Lord, who are hurting because for one time or another or one season in their life, they served a charlatan. They served under a a fake leader, a fake pastor, and it wounded them deeply. It scarred them, it, 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 it hurt them, and they, they almost gave up on the church altogether. I pray, Lord, that you would heal their hearts today. Lord, let them see that it, not all pastors are like that. It's not like that everywhere. That there are good men and women that they can follow and trust. Heal their wounded hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.